Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Wednesday evening, Thursday morning, whenever you might be listening to this. I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We've got Weldon Rodenberg on to talk uh, signing day recap, although recap feels like an inaccurate term for it. But we went through Ole Miss's 11 signees, the strategy that seemingly differs a lot from the rest of the Southeastern Conference and really college football as a whole. What to make of that, what it means long term, and a lot of different other stuff. And, of course, Soccer Corner, the fastest growing segment on American soil at the end of the World Cup recap. So I think you'll enjoy the conversation. But before we get to that, though, I want to remind you, the, the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Look, the proof is in the pudding. It's bowl season. You've got college basketball hitting full swing. Uh, Skybox's bowl packages on the sky. Last weekend, Thursday through Sunday, Skybox went 39 and 16 in college basketball for 57 and a half units up. 57 and a half went undefeated in their NCAA football plays and three and two in the NFL. Guess who didn't do that? You who did not use Skybox sports picks. It's time to stop paying the bookie. You need to start asking him to pay you, asking him where your supplementary income is coming from. Go online, skyboxsportspicks.com. Sign up for a picks package. You can try it sports-centric, all sports. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. I'd recommend going out ahead and signing up for the year-long all-access pass. That way you can profit 57 units in a weekend and basically just retire. And then, boom, you're all set. All you have to do is go online, select the picks package, use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off any purchase. They'll send you an email with the picks in a color-coded spreadsheet by unit. Very well categorized, very professional, and you're better equipped to profit in the long run than you were before trying Skybox. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com, and use that promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, because that'll let them know we sent you. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. You get the new Rippy Wright special. It is three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation that you're getting a half off. Three steaks to kick off your grilling weekend. Just show Greg proof of subscription, and boom, he'll get you set up. Then go find all of your own favorites. Scott, uh, Oxford is so lucky to have a place like LB's. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious uh, sausages, seafood. I love the tri-tips, all kinds of great cuts there. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. It's just a crown jewel in Oxford. You need to check them out. It's a bucket list destination. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right. Here is Weldon Rodenberg on what to make of what Ole Miss did and did not do on early signing day. All right. We now welcome on Rippy Wright's football correspondent, former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, Weldon Rodenberg. This is our post signing day. I used to call it like an extravaganza. I don't really know what it's called. A mild mixer now. Um, it is post early signing period. First time we talked to you since right after the, what, that'd be the egg bowl where we had that pod we thought would age terribly, but actually aged pretty well. So we're yeah. on a heater there. What's up, man? How are you? How's the uh, quote unquote off season? Uh, off season has been fine. Uh, back in Baton Rouge for the holidays. Usually I do these podcasts outside, so nobody bothers me, but it's like 30 degrees outside. It's, it's freezing. 
um, which I think that's the case everywhere, but uh, all is well here. Yeah, it's going to get down. I saw on Friday in Oxford, I'll be in the glorious city of Texarkana, Texas on Friday, but on Friday in Oxford, it'll be like a high of like 17 and a low of seven. So uh, that's not going to be a ton of fun, but it, maybe it'll at least be cold on Christmas this year. Does Baton Rouge ever get snow? You guys are pretty far down south. Does it snow down there? It does. We had a few snow days in high school. Um Sometimes we had like three or four in a row, but it was like kind of like year by year. It's like one year it wouldn't, the next year maybe you get a few, few asleep here and there. I mean, I think the weather this week, it's like one day it's a high of 51 and a low of like nine. So it's, it's, it's all over the place, uh, which is unsurprising for the climate uh, down here. About the same way it was in Mississippi. Growing up, we'd go like three or four years without one. Then all of a sudden, we'd be out of school for like a week because it would like freeze and then I like it was ice over and then snow. So we'll see how the weather plays out. Um, I guess just kind of getting started. I was talking to you briefly right before we started recording, kind of being like, I don't really know how to cover this anymore. Um, it is not the same. I guess we'll start with like a macro view. You worked in this for a number of years. It was starting to evolve while you were working in it and now it's kind of seemingly whatever current version of this even though i don't believe it to be sustainable it seems to be kind of set in stone now as we enter like the third year of this portal thing second year nil this just feels like a random stopgap or a random kind of mile marker in what is now a complete like the offseason used to have everything ready to roll by spring ball but now it just feels like one third of the way through where you'll go like late signing period then kind of post spring type of deal it's just lost its luster. Um, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but it just makes for a very strange vibe. How do you kind of view it out of the game now? Well, the schedule has always been really bizarre the way they do it. Uh, they implemented the early signing period, I think, maybe my first year working as a student. Yeah. Uh, if I remember correctly. Um, and then obviously they still have the one in February, but that one through the three years I was there for signing days was like never really anything super you know, we never even looked forward to it. That was pretty much – we had maybe one or two or three guys. I don't really think that has changed too much. Uh, I do think now that you have, like, the portal windows that having these signing days, like, doesn't make near as much sense anymore, especially when it's not really filling out your class. I, I know the the programs want to have pen to paper as soon as possible for a lot of these kids, especially with the portal now. Um, but it's, it's just weird. I, I don't know. It doesn't have the same – caches it used to i don't think it's near as fun at least from a fan's perspective as it used to be with you know like the six or seven big guys on espnu announcing and all the flips and whatnot uh it, it's gotten pretty mundane and i think a lot of these kids at least the ones we saw for old miss have been kind of locked in for quite a while and you had to fight some teams off for them but it wasn't the uh the sideshow that it can become sometimes uh so i mean i followed it today and my brothers follow it. Of course, they follow it all for different teams. Um, but it was it seemed relatively eventful nationwide, but Ole Miss-wise, uh, as I'm sure we'll discuss, there weren't that many players signed and there wasn't that much drama uh, really associated with any of them. Yeah, you talk about the schedule being so weird and out of whack. The whole I think one of the things that crystallizes kind of the ass-backwards nature of this whole thing 
is I've noticed the last couple of years now that February signing period that used to be like kind of the national holiday signing day is actually when a lot of these guys slip away for vacation. They have fewer and fewer windows to take vacation now. And now it seems like I remember last year, some staffs were on vacation on the signing day. Some left like right yeah. after that. But like that just kind of uh, to me epitomizes how strange this schedule is. It's like these dudes are actually hauling off to go get a little bit of downtime that they don't really have much of a window to do anymore in what used to be kind of this grand holiday one last thing on this, when you you mentioned it being the early signing period being implemented, kind of your first year working as a student or whatever the time frame may be, what do you remember anything at all about having to prep for that adjustment? Did coaches want that? I remember, like, I needed to have read up on this better, but I remember maybe I recall to some degree they wanted another signing period to kind of like thwart the last minute flips, but some wanted it in August, some wanted it in December. Like what do you remember the general consensus being when this happened and how you guys had to prep for what it was a different kind of shakeup in your normal calendar? Yeah. I don't remember uh, when the decision was made. I I wasn't there. Um, So like since it was, it started when I kind of started, it wasn't totally different for me, but I do remember the changes to the way the official visits worked, being able to have them in the summer was very different. Um, and official visits are kind of like an all-in deal. So you know, sometimes these unofficials, it's very casual for really all involved for the uh, recruits and the coaches. Um, you know, sometimes you'd have like a that big weekend, but it's, it's the changing of having official visits in the summer instead of like just those three or four weekends in a row that really changed things. Uh, the, the other thing that it changed, at least from an Ole Miss perspective while I was there, was the Ole Miss student body schedule was a little weird where you had those three weekends before the early signing period for official visits, except for there was a week in between where there was no students anywhere because they were either leaving for Christmas break and then coming back for that first uh, what do you whatever you call that kind of like intercession uh, intercession session. So we always would like end up having like no official visits in between the three possible weeks between the end of the season and signing day because Kiffin didn't like it because there was no one on campus or no one at the bars. I mean, it was a good idea, but it was also like then you're packing in even more to those other two weekends. But now, I mean, the way it's worked, I mean, they're like bringing in no guys. I mean, they're bringing in some portal guys here and there and those matriculate so you know, abruptly that it's hard to even give a a good idea of who's actually going to be on campus. I think the way that they have gone about recruiting, having them on game days instead of after the season, um, you know, it it, it can work in certain aspects. Maybe you don't get the last word in, so it may kind of hurt you on that end, but there's no really necessarily right or wrong way to do it. Uh, But adding that early signing period changed up the schedule for the students and for like the potential, you know, recruit visits that, that changed uh, a lot. This might sound like a dumb question, but I've thought about this a couple of times and I know I generally know the answer to this question, but for the people out there, give me the difference between an unofficial and official visit. What can you and cannot you can't, can't you do when, if this guy's on an official versus an unofficial? Well, the official visit is paid for like fully by the the school, you know, getting right. the kids there and, and the hotels and, you know, and everything involved. And the unofficial visit, you really don't pay for anything. Um, you get some certain stipends for some food and stuff. Um, all the rules would like change year by year. So I honestly can't even remember what some of the rules on official visits were. Um, but official visits, you could you could leave campus a little bit. 
uh, I think a little bit more. I think unofficial visits, you had to be like within a mile of a certain area. And then, you know, official visits, you could kind of go out a little bit. Okay. Um, so like, you know, I, I just saw Louis, Louisville went to like Churchill Downs for some with some of their kids. And at Ole Miss, you know, we would go to coaches houses and have, you know, parties and events and dinners. Um, and then unofficial visits, you know, there some of like the minutiae, especially if it's like a nine game day. Unofficial visit, like in the summer, like you could still meet with academics. You can meet with uh, all the coaches as much as you want. None of that was different. Official visits, it's a little more intense, I would say. You'd have a little more one-on-one times. You might even have a, like a position meeting with all the guys that are in your group going. Uh, it's a lot of eating on official visits. <laughs> I mean, you're there for two or three days. It's just more well-planned. And I know that's like not a very impressive answer for the differences. Uh, the main difference, obviously, is is what I said earlier: is the money you pay, pay for them. Uh, unofficials they they come in different shapes and sizes. Sometimes you'll have those big ass weekends, like the barbecue weekends where there's no barbecue, um, or uh, the game days. Obviously, are considered unofficial visits as well. But there's really not a whole lot of of one-on-one time. It's really just coming for the game and meeting after and maybe slightly before, depending on what the kickoff schedule is. Um, So there's different ways you can do unofficial visits. Official visits are pretty much the, not, I don't want to say cookie cutter, but like the the schedule of those and the way they work are are all pretty much the same. Yeah, a lot more structured, a lot more that you can do as you, uh, as you outlined earlier. Last thing on this, are unofficial, I never thought about it this way, are unofficials in some ways a little bit more telling? Like if you have a kid make an unofficial visit to you a couple of times, can that be more telling than a kid taking an official? We're like, we're in the mix for this guy. He clearly got on campus. But if a dude's taking like a multiple unofficials to you, is that in any way more telling about a prospect in any way? It, it can be, but it also, I think the way that high school kids go about recruiting now is so different. Uh, we used to have kids that, I mean, depending on who they were, would just go on these like nationwide tours. So okay. they, they'd be going to like 12 schools in 12 weeks over the summer throughout like their summer football practice. So yeah, you might get the kid on campus, but you're not special because you're one of like the 12 schools in the Bible Belt, I guess you could say, that he's visiting. Or you get like uh, like full high schools would come in and like bus these prospects in. So you'd have like 35 kids on campus and maybe two of them are like actually recruitable dudes. That's almost so like babysitting. Yeah, the unofficials are a little weird. And like I've always had kind of a mindset, especially with in-state kids, that it's almost okay to keep them at an arm's length distance. You know, there, there's been guys in the past, like, you know, J.J. Pegues and Brandon Turnage that come to mind that I, we recruited when I was there that were Oxford kids who were, like, on campus almost every weekend. It's like it's not special at that point. Yeah. Um, And the official visits are supposed to be, like, that all-in kind of, like, special weekend that really shows you what it's about. Um, So there's different ways to look at it. Um, It's always been kind of very telling about where the kids actually take the official visits. Um, it's pretty rare to sign a kid. A little less rare these days because of just NIL and whatnot, uh, but still pretty rare to sign a kid that doesn't come on an official visit. I think that was always the big hunch. I think Laramie Tunsil maybe like never took an official and then they signed him. They're like, yeah, what the there hell? was some context needed there, but yes, that that's sure. one of the eye popping ones that kind of, yeah, caught, yeah. absolutely. Um, and it's happened in the past. It's not impossible. I mean, I think, Cam Akers never took an official visit, if I remember correctly. Like 
it's kind of telling. Uh, so, I, but like I've been out of it for two years now, so things have has changed as much as they've ever changed in this sport. So it's really hard to give a definitive answer on that. But I, I think it makes sense both ways. The Cam Akers thing always cracked me up because it got down to the nitty gritty. I'll never forget. I was covering a high school basketball game for Courtney Cronin in uh, South Jackson at the Clarion Ledger. And I'd interned for Will Salmon that year, who was the recruiting and preps reporter at the time. And he had gotten in super tight. He's a great reporter. That's why where he is now covering the Mets. He'd gotten in really tight with Akers family. And there was a lot of old Miss buzz. Remember, that was really kind of the linchpin recruit towards like, does Freeze have a second act in him? How bad is this actually going to go? And there were a couple of sites here reporting, and it's not even really a shot at anybody, just like, hey, he's coming to Ole Miss, he's coming to Ole Miss. And like, he, I had people text me all day, and I was like, look, I interned for the guy who seems to be closest to this family. He says Florida State all the way to the point where even my dad was like, well, so-and-so on the spirit says he's coming to Ole Miss. I was like, I'm just telling you what I know, man. And then he signed for Florida State, Florida State without much fanfare. And my dad was like, I guess you're right. I was like, well, yeah, I'm not like well-sourced on this. I just happened to sit in the cubicle next to the dude who knew his family the entire time. So I always remember that one. Let's get into the actual what happened with Ole Miss today. They signed – I was trying to think about the best way to approach this. So as of right now, according to the 247 composite, rivals as well, I guess I should probably mention, Ole Miss yeah. has 11 signees, high school signees, that have signed letters of intent. I noticed this based off of a, a question that was Kiff, asked in Kiffin's press conference today. I think he was asked, like, you know, you have the smallest signing class currently in the SEC. He kind of gave a non-answer, just kind of like, all right, whatever, this is all evolving. But Ole Miss has 11, and I'll just go through it real quick, of the other SEC schools. Kentucky, 17, Alabama, 27, Florida, 20, Auburn, 18, Georgia, 23, LSU, 25, State, 25, Miss Missouri, 19, South Carolina, 20, Tennessee, 23, Texas A&M, 16, so the next closest, and then Vanderbilt, the Mighty Doors, 20. Whatever you want to make of that, no right, wrong, or indifferent, or whatever, Ole Miss has the smallest one by a lot. And I'm just curious what you make as you try to we try to piece together what this recruiting strategy is. We've done this for the last couple of years. We talked about the portal heavy thing a ton when we did this edition of the show last year. This is a bad way to ask it, but what do you make of that? Because they are clearly different than every other school around them. I have absolutely no idea why they only signed 12 kids. And of course, I think they had, you know, that one kid flipped to Maryland. So it technically it could have been 13. So, but it's, it was 12. Right. Uh, and three transfers committed, but not technically signed. No one knows how that works. Yeah. Who cares? Point, point still stands. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know what, I don't know what the strategy is. I, I know that they've said that like, they're not going to take kids just to take kids, which, you know, saying is, is easier than doing. And it's probably the right thing, but that doesn't necessarily mean you only signed 12. I mean, when you look around the country at all of the programs who recruit the best, that always recruit the best. I mean, they're still signing 23, 24, 25 kids. To your point, uh, Alabama, Alabama 27, Georgia 23, LSU 25. Kind of the blue yeah. blood right around that number. Exactly. So I don't – I genuinely could not make up an answer on why they only signed 12. Uh, there's no 25 limit anymore either. Um, and then now with the early signing and the late signing, I mean, almost all these kids sign early. So, yeah, are they going to sign more kids in the late? And that many shit, they better. <laughs> because, I mean, you're not going to fill up like a, a typical amount. So, I mean, they're going to have to kind of go back in the pool and reevaluate kids that didn't sign. Um, but that's a very, very thin pool of, of kids. 
And if they already didn't, you know, clarify that some of these kids weren't, you know, up to the standard, then I mean, that is going to be even more difficult with the kids left over. Um, so I don't know why. I, I don't know why. You know, I, I get that Ole Miss handles the portal in a unique way. It's not really different than anybody else. They're not doing anything unique anymore. Everyone else is hitting the portal just as hard as Ole Miss is. And in fact, I mean, currently, though the portal still has plenty of movement left, I mean, they only have three kids and, you know, they're like the 60th ranked portal class right now in terms of kids going out and coming in. So it's not there's ways you could like spin it positively. And I mean, I think we will do our best to do that in the next with some of the kids they signed, but I wouldn't consider 12 and their current portal situation to be like exactly what they were planning, right. and exactly what they want to do. Because to be quite honest, if that is the case, they're on such a different spectrum from the way every single other program in the country is operating or damn near all of them that are in their supposed class of, of programs. I mean, they're, they're just way off and not necessarily even off in a bad way. They're just off right? Uh, by 15 kids, at least with some of these other programs. So it, it's, it's really difficult to give a, a clear, you know, hypothesis on what their thought process is. Um, and I don't really necessarily agree with it. Um, and we'll get into some of the things I, I kind of struggle with and some of the things I like, but it's very bizarre. I don't have a real answer for you. Um, it just, it's very difficult to, for me to watch Ole Miss, which is not a typical recruiting power, uh, just completely operate, not at a different level, but at a different mindset than the programs that do this year in, year out that are incredibly successful. Right. And along those lines, something you said at the top of that, of I, you mentioned, I know they've said, that they're not going to take kids just to take kids. And you mentioned that being easier said than done. And I remember last year, and I was just looking and looking at some of the stuff I wrote in the newsletter at this time last year, they had an underwhelming early signing class, but it felt like there were more ones that got away, right? They didn't get Jaheim Otis. There were four or five others that they were in the mix for and couldn't flip or couldn't keep or whatever the case may be on signing day. Whereas, admittedly, as someone who doesn't follow this year round, it didn't feel like that this year. They lost the kid to Maryland, Neo Harris. I know they made a late push of the kid that signed with Mississippi State, uh, Isaac Smith. Is that it? Yeah, Yeah. Isaac Smith. And like maybe one other that I can think of off the top of my head. So they sign 11 or whatever it is. Maybe it's 12 currently right now, but whatever it is at that number. And it didn't feel like, okay, the plan was out of 19, do you get 17 of them? And it just fell all the way down to 12. It didn't feel like there were a ton of misses either. And to give credence to their strategy statement, whatever you want to call it, of we're not going to take kids just to take kids, they did sign three of the top five players in the state of Mississippi, including the top two. So like that does kind of lend itself to believe, okay, maybe this is a concerted strategy, But I am kind of with you in the sense that like it is very mystifying to see them operate so much differently than everyone else in the SEC in terms of the sheer number of bodies signed. And I guess that to actually package that into a question, one of the things we've seen, we talked about this last year, is, you know, Portal King, all that. That's great. Ole Miss needs to be a little different, try to find guys in the portal. But 
they had injuries this year. And when that depth kind of got eaten into a little bit and they had to play guys that weren't their starting 22, um, particularly on the defensive side of the football, uh, the results were diminishing. They There was a drop-off when they had to play some of the second-tier guys. And we talk about how it being a little bit more difficult to build depth in the portal. I know you get some kids with two years of eligibility left or three or whatever, and then some with one. It's a very fine line to walk. But do you still believe in the theory that it's 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 harder, if not impossible, to build real tangible depth and actually build a program if you don't sign 19 to 20 high school kids and leave six to seven open in the portal or more than that, whatever the case may be. Like, do you think they're, they're still selling themselves short in terms of building real depth by going so light in the high school ranks? I, I think it's, it's absolutely. Uh, I mean, recruiting is the backbone of your program. It's the most cliche thing in the world, but it is absolutely that. And you know, it's all about the process, not the results. It, signing high school kids and developing them is is the goal, right? Yes. You can talk about the portal all day long and be like, oh, we came in second. We'll get that guy, you know, on the back end or in a year or two. And, oh, the, you know, this guy's a developmental guy, so he'll probably just leave. He doesn't play early. But that that cannot be your thought process. It has to be we need to sign the best players that we can and as many of them as we can at this point, and then fill out the rest uh, of our needs in the portal. Um, or at least that's how I would go about it, where they seem to be like, we're going to sign, you know, a certain amount of kids and we're going to fill everything with the portal. Um, because, I mean, that's how it's going to be. I mean, there's no way they're signing 17 high schoolers in the late signing period. There's absolutely no way they're going to do that because there's no way there's 17 guys, one, that are just dying to go to Ole Miss – you know, because they had the love in their heart and two, yeah. because there's just not that many quality players left. So it's going to be 15, 16, 17 portal guys. And, you know, that's great. But the other issue is that, I mean, we've seen that portal guys aren't guarantees either. Right. So it's not like signing a, a portal guy that has two years left compared to a high school kid with four you know, assumed years. It's not like it's this. It's it's apples to you know oranges. I mean, these guys are. It's the same risk factor. Uh, obviously, you know, there's certain guys in the portal that are like not bona fide hits, but are damn near close to that. But the idea that Ole Miss is going to be in on so many of those guys, I think, is a little foolish because those guys can go to LSU or Alabama or Oklahoma or Texas. You know, you're not being the portal king doesn't mean you're going to be the portal king every single year, especially when you know, more schools are realizing like, oh shit, we can build off, like, you know, fill our holes just like other programs are. Um, and portal kids don't come to sit, right? It's kind of the antithesis of no. that. You're not going to really build depth because you're not going to convince a portal kid, hey, wait a year and a half, then you're good. They're going to go where they want to play immediately. That's why they're leaving for the most part, varying reasons, but still. Yeah. And Ole Miss can sell that. Absolutely can. I, I believe that's a, probably a route that they will take. And I think they can be absolutely successful with that. Um, but they're not going to be the only ones that can say that. I mean, I mean, look at LSU right now. They only have like three corners on their roster. You think if a really good one goes in the portal, they won't be able to sell him on playing time? Sure. <laughs> I mean, they absolutely will. Uh, I mean, Alabama has portaled receivers before, and they usually have some pretty damn good ones over there. So it's not they're not it's not a unique thought process to use the portal to fill holes with elite players. Um, I, I think it's unfair to assume they can't 
But right now, it's unfair to it's unfair, you know, for us who are looking at it and trying to evaluate it and judge it to say that they can either. Um, so it, it's just weird. I, Twelve kids is is crazy to me. Um, it, it's cra- it's such an outlier number uh, amongst your peers in your conference that I I would love if someone had asked him and like followed up and continue to ask like why are you signing twelve players? And they did it last year. And I get it. Um, I think they had a few more holes to fill last year. I felt like this would have been a class, you know, to kind of complete that four year, three year rotation where it's like, OK, now we're really building upon something. Uh, and they are using the same exact strategy that they used last year. Um, it's very possible it'll work. I think after the bowl games, there will be a whole nother group of kids that go in the portal, um, which gives a whole nother crop of kids that Ole Miss can recruit. But like I mentioned previously in the rant, so will everybody else. Um, so I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe that's what they're saving the big NIL money for, assuming they have the big NIL. I think he mentioned today that they are in a better spot than they have been, which is good. Um, but I just don't even know if that was their initial strategy going in because they started recruiting some of these Mississippi kids late. Like right. the, the two DBs, Isaac Smith and Kelly Jones, that signed with State. I mean, they started recruiting with a month left. Like, you're never going to get those guys. Absolutely not. So what changed? Was it because you ended up committing kids out of state who didn't sign, like the Missouri safety and the Maryland linebacker? Was it because you needed to see a full season of their senior film to have a good idea about them or see them in person at an all-star game? I I don't know what it was, but – you know, in years past, you just sign those guys. If you like them, you just sign them. They're two guys to be development. I mean, honestly, they're two players I personally like. Um, I, I don't know. And then we haven't even gotten to the quarterback situation, which is um, easily the most fascinating of all that's transpired over the last week. Um, so, I mean, there's – I don't even know what to, where to start with that and with his comments today. I mean, I have a feeling I know exactly what happened. Um, but I think what happened is a product of another, I don't want to say failure, but another, you know, ill judgment on Kiffin and the staff's part when it comes to the quarterback position. Yeah, absolutely. And I, that's what I had coming up next. But I wanted to get to one more question with you is so hold that thought for like two seconds is the yeah. fact that I wanted to ask you about the development of Lane Kiffin and this staff, because you look at all the other programs around the SEC. I don't think Brian Kelly's going anywhere anytime soon. Don't think Nick Taven's going anywhere other than his lake house uh, whenever he decides to do such a thing. Um, you know, freeze in Auburn. I don't think that guy's going to leave after year one to go to some They other finished guy. really well today, too. Yeah, they did. They finished very well today. My point being is Lane Kiffin has kind of held this program. Hell, holding it hostage feels like a, a, the wrong term. But everything feels like the short term. Every storyline feels like the here and the now. You don't really hear anything about two, three years out, buildings no. or something, nothing like that. And it's that's cost about- him kids. Yeah. I, including I a pretty big that. one from New Orleans. <laughs> yes. Yes. I would say so myself uh, that we uh, that, you know, people of that are very close to that certain kid whose last name might be Manning. Um, the, but like on top of that, I wanted to get to the developmental piece of it because with that here and now approach, how would you evaluate how they've done developmentally for three years? Because I do think they have a couple wins on the offensive line, right? With the two freshman tackles, I think that was a very good thing. They had a kid, 
I don't know if it was how good they developed the other two, but Mason Brooks, a transfer, just couldn't see the field. Yep. But I felt like I haven't seen a ton of that on the defensive side of the football, right? Tywon Malone had moments this year, but he didn't have that kind of breakout year that maybe some people were anticipating. J.J. Pegues came strong at the end of the year in particular, but he was a transfer portal kid. Like, Do you think this next year becomes kind of the make or break year in terms of the cat being in or out of the bag or the storyline being written on Kiffin and his staff's ability to develop kids? Because this is now two years of tiny signing classes out of high school kids. Like, I, I know I took that in a million different directions, but how would you grade their their ability to develop kids? And do you think that will probably develop into a major storyline here in the next year? Because it kind of feels like it. Yeah, I mean, I think they've done a really good job at a lot of different positions. I think offensive line-wise, you know, of course, Thornton is not here anymore. Uh, he does deserve a decent amount of credit for what's happened with Jalen Williams and and Pettis. I mean, those are two, you know, redshirt freshmen starting, and I would say for the most part played pretty damn well. Um, obviously, you know, they had their bumps and bruises, but that's the offensive line in the SEC. Um, other positions have been a little bit, you know, a little le- left to be desired. Uh, How about receiver? Receiver being one in particular. Um, I will say that development to me has always been a semi-overrated term used um, because when you sign elite players, they end up being elite players uh, pretty quickly. And if you sign bad players, a lot of times, you know, it doesn't matter if they're going to play their senior year. I think that was always a saying we had is, is if a guy is here his senior year, you know, we kind of did something wrong. Uh, if he's not in the NFL or if he's not another school, like we signed the wrong kid. Um, and like I've always said, you kind of know pretty quickly if you've got a guy who can develop that. I mean, that's the first the thing. day of spring you always talk about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's obviously a little hyperbolic, but sometimes, I mean, that's really kind of all it took. Um so, yeah, I think they have done really good jobs with guys who have who have come up and, and done the, the kids that have done the work themselves and be like, OK, this is a player. Let's get him ready to play. They've done a good job with that, which is why it's so confusing on why you would limit your ability to do so. by Yeah, signing, limit the options, the talent. Well, high schoolers. Yeah, they exactly. Um, so it, it's just it, it's a weird conundrum for me to to figure out how to judge this class because it's so far from over from Old Miss's perspective. But like I said earlier, they're on the spectrum of what other programs are doing. They're so far away that it's like, are they really being innovative and smart, or are they really just you know pigeonholing themselves into this idea that the portal is going to solve all of these issues? You mentioned the recruiting kids late. Are they actually, is this a strategy or are they zagging because they think this is effective or are they compensating for their lack of organization? Because this is a theme for a couple of years now, right? You mentioned recruiting the kids late where it's like, why are you doing that? Some of the storylines and some of the rumblings, I would say, from around the program and people close to it last year was kind of a lack of organization with the recruiting aspect of it. And so that kind of presents the great question, right? Is this a concerted strategy that they will believe will work or is it kind of a strategy and are they compensating for their lack of organization with some high school kids, right? I mean, that's essentially what it comes down to. I mean, that's possible. I, I, I don't feel like we sh- I should comment on like the organization of the recruiting. Um, sure. I, I think a lot a lot of times, um, you know, I guess this is maybe bias. A, a lot of like the off field guys get like a ton of heat for organization when in, you know, in reality, you're in a uh, a service industry to the coaches. So 
you know, you can do your best and all you can, but if the coaches kind of aren't on their game, it's really kind of a fruitless effort. Well, it um, starts with the head man, does it not? Well, yeah, it does. At the end of the day, that's absolutely the one that does. You know, obviously, you know, we'll get, we'll get to the quarterback, but, I mean, that's his position. That, that I mean, that's the reason he is a football coach is because of his ability, his ability that he's shown everywhere that he can develop and have incredible quarterback play. Um, he only has one scholarship quarterback on the roster currently. I mean, you are a play away from, you know, Dart being down to having a no season, basically. Um, and that will obviously change, um, but it shouldn't be the way that it is right now. Um, I mean, this is the class with Arch Manning in it, which has just not even been talked about for six months because, you know, they were out of it so early, which is, you know, obviously a completely different conversation we probably won't get into, but you had your heir apparent and now you don't. Um, so is that an organization thing? Is that a money thing? Is that just a, you know, even a misevaluation of Ole Miss and not even being worried about him going, you know, that could be even set. I, I don't even know what to say about it all. Um, but it's just been weird. I think that that's the big word that comes to my mind is just unorthodox and weird the way that it's gone. And I, I feel like I'm being super negative um, probably cause I am, <laughs> but uh, I, I just, I just don't know how to fully judge the way that they're operating at this point. Um, and it's not full, it's not complete, but I, I don't really think I care that it's complete or not. It, it's still very odd. It is. And it, it's, it's reflected the results on the field. The last couple of years, look, you can't knock him for going 10 and two and eight and four in years, two and three, particularly when you from 21 to 22, when you lost what you lost, particularly at the quarterback position, but both years felt a little bit piecemealed together, right? They won a couple of one score games. They felt like they were kind of not limping to the finish line, but wow, they were lucky to get out of that game in 20, uh, 21 with Corral. And that's not knocking them for going 10 and two. I'm not trying to revise Hell history no. in that Hell stage, no. but it does feel like they're, wow, this team's really beat up. They don't have any other options because they lose starters. And that seems to reflect some of the portal stuff. And let's just get right into the quarterback piece of it, as you keep alluding to. Um, the Marcel Reed thing. So he was a kid, NBA guy. People had really exciting highlights. People were in on him, but it seemed like people that worked closer to the recruiting industry were like, I'm not so sure this kid's a terrific quarterback or going to be a terrific quarterback. Mixed opinions, uh, to put it mildly on him. I do think it would be stupid to say that it's not a major loss for Ole Miss because that was the kid, high school kid that they were all in on at quarterback and they didn't sign one. And I did a pod with Chase on Monday night and I was like, has he signed a high school quarterback? Cause I don't think he has. I clearly forgot about Altmeyer, but that felt like a decent bit of hay being in the a barn from the previous staff, the COVID thing, him not going to get to go to visit Florida state. And was like, you know what? I would rather just go to Ole Miss. I don't, I don't mean that to discredit their efforts to actually get Luke Altmeyer to beat Ole Miss, but that's really the only one that kid's entering the portal, which I understand why it's not really the staff's fault. But they lose Marcel Reed, and they are now going to go back-to-back classes without signing a high school quarterback, presumably. And as we discussed last year, and someone who worked in recruiting, that's pretty unheard of, is it not, on the surface? Yeah, it's – this is a – I don't want to use too strong of the word, but it's borderline, you know, unacceptable. <laughs> It's, it's unprecedented. If you want to put it in an innocuous sure. term, it is unprecedented, but I get where you're going because, you know. Yeah. Unprecedented is probably better. I mean, Florida State did it um, for a few years in the, the wake of Jimbo leaving, and we How'd saw that work out? out for them. Yeah. 
Um, it, it's just not, it, it's not good. And there's different ways to look at it. You could look at it as, you know, we didn't really love Marcel Reed and we're, you know, not that disappointed about losing him. And that's fine. You know, I don't even necessarily disagree with that sentiment. You know, I, his, I did not like his stuff as a junior. Uh, yeah. You were, you were not sold on the kid when we talked the other night. Yeah. I, I did not like his junior stuff. I thought he had improved a lot of things for his senior year stuff, but I, I don't love him as a prospect. And yeah, now of course, guess what? People get that shit wrong all the time. They get it wrong in the NFL. They get it wrong in college. You know, you never know, which is why you want the kid on your roster no matter what. But I think, I guess, the, even the the bigger issue behind that is, well, then why was he the quarterback that you ended up with? That they why, seemingly why? invested a lot of time in to recruit for a while. Yeah. Um, I mean, if that's not a guy you actually really had a lot of faith in and, you know, the NIL money wasn't worth it, well, why was he the guy then, you know? You have to be able to recruit quarterbacks better. It's the most important position on the field. It is Lane Kiffin's, you know, you know, his standard, that that's his job. It's his everything is quarterback play. It's, it's what he's done best. It's what he continues to do well with. I think Dart has played, you know, much, much better towards the end of the season than he did in the beginning. Um, so why can't they recruit high school quarterbacks better? I, I it's, it's inexplainable to me. Um, I, I don't, I do not have an answer for it. Um, I know that they're in on this kid from Arkansas, Walker White, who is awesome. He is awesome. I, I watched his stuff a few days ago. He's an inc- he's an incredible prospect from you know from everything that I've seen so far. I mean, obviously, haven't seen him in person or anything like that. But his film, I love it. But there's no guarantee you're getting him either. <laughs> I mean, you better lock him up now um, or try to because he's getting a ton of offers: Alabama, Clemson, Auburn. Uh, it's not going to be a, a walk in the park to get these guys, and it never is. It's all about relationships, and you start those relationships really, really, really early. Um, and they just haven't been able to lock any of them down. Um, and I, yeah, like I, I'll give them a pass for the first year. You know, Altmeyer came in, and Altmeyer I loved out of high school, and Levy did a hell of a job with that. Lane did well with that, and they got him. It hasn't worked out, not really their fault, but that's one in three four recruiting classes at the end of the day and this uh, one felt different because last year was there were they even really in on a single kid i can't remember i know i'm asking something impossible to recall can't but really this year felt a little different because of the read thing and they were actually in on him right um so i don't i don't know i mean is it a huge it's a huge loss from just your roster you only have one scholarship quarterback left and i know you know, Dent maybe is back, but he he's not playable at this point. And, and I mean, he, he, everyone knows that that's not news to anybody. I mean, you have to have bodies um, and you can't just have five walk-ons either. You, you have to have scholarship quarterbacks. And the, the biggest issue is it's going to be incredibly difficult to, to find a kid to just come in and not only a, a, a guy, but, you know, a guy who could play for you if he had to from the portal that wants to come in and be like, would you like to come be the backup in the SEC? I mean, that's going to exactly. be an incredibly difficult Selling task. a portal kid on sitting is not conducive to what that market seems to be. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that is a plug-and-play market. Um, and you have some guys here and there who are, like, kind of transferring to be backups, but those guys are, like, preparing to be GA somewhere. Yeah. I mean, that's what Gar- – I mean, Garner Minshew almost did that at Alabama. I mean, he was going to transfer there to work and get into coaching – and decided, you know what, maybe I am pretty good. I'm going to go play, went to go play with Mike Leach, and now he's about to start against the Cowboys on Saturday. Um, 
So, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's odd to me. It's, it's weird because it's such his strength. And, you know, like I said, I'm not going to judge it because it's not completely over yet, but I mean, looking at it, I I don't even know if there's any quarterbacks left that are recruitable um, at this level. I mean, I don't think they're going to sign a high school guy because I don't think there's any left, uh, which there never are. So I don't even know. It's just, a weird, like I said, it's my it's my word. It's not a very special word, but it's a weird, weird way of going about all this. Well, the, the what did White sign today? White's it's twenty four kid. Oh, that's right. That's the next year. You're right about that. So yeah, it it's in. You're right. So like the next year, they're going to go in. Assume presumably with Dart. Maybe they find a portal kid. We'd use the Jordan Tiamu example, but those are not really. You can't bank on that, right? Of like, oh, well, this kid's happy being a backup for a little bit, and he'll just kind of be awesome when he plays. That's not really. Um, I would say a responsible gamble by any stretch of the imagination. So you're essentially going to go in to next season with your, and look, every program does this to some degree, right? You lose your starting quarterback, the all expectations are tempered, but even just having some sort of viable backup, presumably Ken K. Dent will be back, but I will point out, I believe that kid did go through senior day. I don't know for what reason, whether it's to go. No. Yeah. So he might not be back. Exactly. So what do you do then? The one thing I'll bring up is, Someone brought this up on the board yesterday. I'm not going to turn this into like a Tyler Knightish storyline. I'm mostly just curious by it. Do you remember anything about the Waterman kid? Uh, he was a California guy, three-star. He got Hodgkin's lymphoma. That just pretty much drew me to his story because I didn't remember a ton about him. Do you remember anything about this kid? So he was a three-star kid, I think a high three-star from California um, that was starting to get some interest from some Pac-12 programs. I think even Alabama kicked the tires on it, if I'm not mistaken. He got stage three Hodgkin's lymphoma, had to miss a year, I think his junior year maybe. I could have that wrong. I'm still working out the details of that. And arrived at Ole Miss basically as like a preferred walk-on type thing because he was regaining his health. Do you remember anything about that kid at all? Were you all in on him? Did that ring a bell at all? No idea who that is. Okay, so he plays for Ole Miss, technically. I actually okay. was, uh, I would say, unaware or forgotten about this like three weeks ago. Other than that, that's the only name I can throw at you. So with Marcel Reed, what's your uh, halfway educated speculation about what happened? Because Kiffin had a very interesting quote at his press conference today, got asked about it, and he said, I wouldn't say we lost a quarterback. Now, on paper, there was a commit. He's listed as a quarterback, as far as I know, on 247. And he flipped from Ole Miss to AM. So in theory, they lost a quarterback, but he had a very pointed quote about that, had a cryptic retweet about the NIL piece of it. What do you think happened? Because I saw some stuff about how they didn't really go in home on him uh the last three weeks. Maybe I have that wrong, but Charlie a- did. There's a picture of Charlie there. I, I don't remember seeing a picture of Lane there. So what do you think happened? Without me speculating any further, what do you think happened there? Do you think that he had ridiculous because this is what you're gonna run into more and more? Is kids with ridiculous NIL demands and some guys being like, oh, no thanks, dude. Never seen you play a snap of major college football. Not allotting that to you to be the backup quarterback. What do you think happened there? Just your guess. I mean, my guess is you look at the two schools that were recruiting him is A&M and Auburn who didn't really have quarterback commits and they they saw a guy, they identified a guy that they you know liked or, or at least maybe even Marcel identified two schools that maybe were options for him. Um, and he ended up going to the one that probably gave him more NIL money and old Mrs. side, my guess is they weren't interested uh, in matching that because, you know, they had him as a commit. They weren't sold on him being a, a guy in the future. I'm fine with that. I, I get that. Um, my, my crux of the issue is then why is he your guy? 
Like, why has he been your guy since July? Why have you not recruited other quarterbacks? That's what I was going to ask. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Would you say, as someone who worked in this, they should have had a backup plan? Yes. Um, it's difficult to have a backup plan with quarterbacks. You usually only sign one. So, you know, you end up uh, choosing a guy, and that's your dude. And, you know, obviously, Arch did not work out, um, which is just a – just bizarre not that it didn't work out that that's life but that that has not even been a talking point for eight months now um then they went for Rashada and Rashada got a bag from Miami and then turned that bag and got one for Florida uh so that didn't work out there um so they ended up getting a guy that they could get that was you know in their area who they thought maybe he was a development guy well I mean they I hope they thought he was a development guy um, and they, they rode that horse, which is fine. You know, you, you need a quarterback. They decided they needed one. They got the best one that they thought that they could get committed to their program. Um, so they did it until they didn't. Um, so that, that's it. That's, there's really no other explanation for it. Uh, I don't know. I have absolutely no inside information on what happened. This is totally and complete speculation. Um, but it, it's not good from a roster management, not necessarily a loss from just, you know, an immensely talented kid, though, like I said, you never know, you know, kids develop and, you know, grow differently and change differently, mature differently. You literally never know on what a kid can be. I mean, Mac Jones was a three-star kid who didn't have a lot of offers and a lot of, you know, high expectations. And he is a starting quarterback in the NFL now. It's crazy. You miss all the time. But uh, I think that's not really the issue on, on hitting or missing. It's now you just don't have one. And on top of that, you know, Kevin had the cryptic retweet about Rashada from like December 9th, which just really encapsulates this world we live in currently about NIL, what's up, or basically what, whatever the tweet was, Kevin retweets it. And my first reaction to that, without knowing any sort of context, like you just mentioned, I have no inside info on this. I'm just purely speculating was my first reaction was, no, you can't do that. There is no more. And that's what sets up such a fascinating 2023 with this whole Auburn thing and him making them pub- hold their feet to the fire with NIL and they publicize the 10 million mark, whatever that's money in hand, not really the point today, is it's now all on him. The lack, like the excuses that he wants to make, whether they're facilities, they're getting the big upgrade to the practice facility to NIL, this is now all on Kiffin. And that's kind of the maybe the unsung double-edged sword in the whole Auburn saga is like, all right, now you're a top five paid coach in college football. You got an NIL war chest. This is now all on you. So if that was the point of whatever he was retweeting for hot yoga or whatever he decided to do, that to me was like, no, you can't do that anymore, dude. Like you're out of excuses. Like if you lose a kid, you lose a kid. That's not on anyone else or anything else was my initial reaction. But maybe it was just a thing they weren't comfortable like giving whatever he was asking for. I don't know what the case may be. Chase and I started talking about it and Chase said something at one point on the pod and was like, well, he had an option to go on talking about Marcel Reed being like he had an option to get on the field quicker at Ole Miss. And I thought Chase misspoke. I was like, oh, you mean A&M? He's like, no, no, A&M has Wigman or Wigman. Like, yeah, he could have gotten technically gotten on the field quicker here from watching Wigman or however you say the kid's name against Ole Miss and a couple other games. I thought, OK, maybe that's a thing. Like my first reaction was, oh, he thinks he can beat him out. But now that Chase mentioned it that way, it's actually the case. Technically, you could have gotten on the field quicker at Ole Miss with Dart's eligibility versus Wigman or Wigman's eligibility, where it almost would have made more sense if he went to Auburn, where it's like, oh, Freeze doesn't love Ashford. He's trying to get his guy in here, blah, 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 whatever. 
I don't think that's really the case, particularly with him at AM. So maybe it's simply an NIL thing. I don't even have a question to throw back at you. I just find it very, very weird um, that that happens. And then now they're left with what? Because what are they going to do? Go get a portal kid to be a backup? I, I guess. I, I don't really know. Do you beg Buchanan to see if he has more eligibility? What what, what do you do at this point? I mean, if Matthew so, Ulrich. Well, if Dick decides not to come back, who is the backup quarterback? Could you name him? Because I may have named him earlier. Oh, he's not on the roster right now, so it, it's it's pointless. I and mean, there, there, it's he's gonna they're gonna have to find one. Um, and then of course, you know, this stuff dovetails because what if Dart has a hell of a season next year, which we all hope, and I think he can. Well, then he's gonna go to the NFL, and then you're not going to have a quarterback on the roster. And then maybe you decide, oh, well, we'll just portal one. That is fine. That may be the way you have to do it. Can you? Portal but then two? that's still only one. Exactly. <laughs> that's still only one. So you have no guy in development in your program to, to to grow upon, and you go portal, and guess what? As is this year, as will be next year, and for years until this portal stuff is whatever, there will be other guys searching for a quarterback in the portal. I mean, this year, Kentucky probably got the, the best one. Uh, they beat out, like, Auburn and Florida and a shit ton of other programs, TCU, looking for a quarterback for next year. So you're not going to be unique in that, in that aspect. Um so, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the complaining and the retweeting and all that crap is, is kind of a it's it's just looks bad on Ole Miss because it's like, oh, like, you know, we're poor. We couldn't pay this kid and we couldn't pay Rashada. And, you know, excuse But he excuses. made them publicize that they're not poor. That's the whole thing I don't understand about. Exactly. It. It, it's because he, sometimes. I don't know. He, he is a very smart guy, but he honestly like sometimes does things that he thinks are like smart and funny that are like absolutely not like lack of self-awareness lack of self-awareness in that deal and um so i i don't know i mean i guess you know we can look towards the positives if you would like which is well i, I guess we got it it goes back to we'll, we'll do positives in a second but the whole portaling and all of this stuff you know a lot of this recruiting and recruiting late it all comes down to relationships and yes. the NIL is the part that can close the deal with kids, but relationships is how you start recruiting, especially at Ole Miss. You know, Ole Miss is a place where you cannot just call up some kid and offer him X amount of money and expect him to come. I mean, you have to actually do the work. I mean, they signed three really good, elite, talented players from Mississippi because Derek Nix is a baller and he has incredible relationships in the state. And they had three guys they wanted to get and they got them. You know, that that's how it works. I, I think their lack of recruiting over a long period of time and kind of like they're not putting it on the back burner. I know that for a fact, but kind of putting on the the hard hitting towards the end. I mean, o- other guys, other teams, they do that all all year long, every day, 24-7, you know, at all times. And uh, I'm not saying that that's every coach on staff. I'm not saying it's even any coaches on staff, but that's kind of what they've relayed to the public. So that's what we will be take as fact that they kind of bring in kids late. They want to kind of have a late surge. You know, they've said this. This is not this is not us guessing. They've said yeah. it, and I feel like it's backfired in their ability to create relationships not only with the guys option A, but even option B, or you know, God forbid, option C. Even though they say they, they probably just won't even go there, and that's fine. Uh, but it's just even those relationships you're seeing in the portal, a lot of teams are doing the S. I call it the SMU method. SMU before the transfer portal started became a place where kids that were from Texas would transfer back to. It, I mean, they would do it everywhere, all over the country. Kids from Texas would transfer back to SMU, and at the end of the day, SMU ended up having 
uh, a few years of being really, really good, and they still are a very good program. Uh, you saw what Sonny Dykes did there. You LSU need to transfer from Dallas and have a hell of a football roster year to year. Absolutely. And they did that, and they did it to an incredibly effective rate. Um, you're seeing LSU, Brian Kelly said it out loud. He said, you know, in the portal, you know, we're going to recruit high school kids, and in the portal, we're going to prioritize kids from Louisiana who enter the portal. And guess what? They have four portal commits from really talented players, or at least the concept of they're talented. They, they left pretty early that are all from Louisiana. I think Ole Miss, I don't know if they can do that because the kids that leave Mississippi so far, they haven't left the schools yeah. that they're at. And if they do come back, it's no guarantee they come back to Ole Miss. I think you saw Radar Jones end up at State. Maybe Ole Miss didn't want him. That's very possible. But I, I think some of the the advantages that are perceived about Ole Miss in the portal aren't necessarily there. They might even know that it's, they're not stupid, but at least from the outside looking in, I'm not sure what the strategy is with that. Relationships are key. NIL is, is great and it's effective, but if you don't like actually recruit the kids and have relationships. And like I said, I'm not saying that they're not doing that, but it is massively important. Like the, like the Mississippi state kids, Jones and Smith, Clearly, we weren't recruiting them very hard, and then all of a sudden we wanted them. The idea that they're going to see, see Ole Miss and be like, I have to go there, it's just probably not going to be the case. And that leads me to kind of the last part before we get to some of the positives. And like earlier when I asked you about this, like I'm not like trying to goad you into an answer about organization and recruiting, but the general mindset of Kiffin and the way he runs this program seems to come back in the here and now because every issue we've discussed, um, you know, not signing a high school quarterback or building depth via high school kids. That's not something we're talking about to where, how are they going to be any good in 2023? Even last year, it wasn't like, how are they going to field a competitive team in 2022? Every like issue or whatever you want to call it that or negative or downside is talking about, okay, how do you build real depth in something that's long-term sustainable and actually build a healthy program with a wealth of talent for years to come? And that just seems to be the antithesis of Kiffin's entire mindset. Like we talk about 2024, who's going to be their quarterback? 2025, like, I, I, I hate like speculating in this way, but like does Kiffin care? Because he looks at every other job, every other offseason, like everything just seems to be the here and now. And I'm just not so sure that overall mindset, whether it leaks into recruiting long term or whatever, and the way they've adopted the portal is conducive to building a long term healthy program to build and build and build with something. For all Freeze's faults, he had that whole thing, the, the journey. We're in year two, year three of our journey, class after class, high school kids. Recruiting landscape was different back then. I get it. But I just wonder if this overall theme of let's figure this out year to year is going to end up being the detriment on the field for them once they start losing guys to injury in this gridiron sport, because they just don't overall, whatever you want to knock them or praise them for, there does not seem to be a ton of foresight two and three years down the road because he never even talks about being at Ole Miss two and three years down the road. And I just wonder if that mindset is a general umbrella theme of everything we're talking about, if that makes any sense at all. No, it does. It gets back to like the process versus the results, where yeah. it seems like they're going for a very results-driven, uh, I guess, a results-driven way of looking at recruiting, which is get the guys in that you can get in immediately, 
and have them help you immediately and then do it all over again. Whereas most programs, if not all programs, are about building through high school recruiting. Um, we know that because every single elite program signed 20 to 25 kids uh, today um, or close to it. So I, I think it's absolutely fair to question, especially with the quarterback position, because those guys don't bullshit. You know, the Arch Mannings of the world, the Walker Whites of the world, Jackson Arnold, you know, all these really elite players, they know what's going on. They cannot be fooled. You know, for whatever reason, quarterbacks, especially in high school, like they have a very good idea of what's going on um, for whatever reason. And we can't be um, an idiot and play quarterback. They're just smart kids. I, the smart. kids are intelligent. Uh, the people around them usually have a really good idea what's going on because it's such a unique position. Processing info. That's the whole name of the game, yeah. right? And, and Neil has mentioned multiple times that I've seen that Walker has been very the, – the white kid, the guy that this, that's kind of pinpointed to be their potential guy in 24, has been concerned with, with Kiffin and, like, the stability of the program. Well, right. They had that same issue with a quarterback in 2023 that was concerned about the stability and whether Kiffin was going to be there. And that wasn't an issue of, is he going to be there when I'm a junior? It's an issue of, uh, is he going to be there when I sign? And this, this kind of, you know, looking into Auburn and Miami and all these jobs every single year that gets to quarterbacks in recruiting. It is, you cannot hide from it and you cannot, you know, spin it into a way that's a positive for those kinds of players because quarterbacks need stability. That's what these high school kids want. They want early playing time and they want the coaches and offensive coordinators, you know, ideally to be there while they're there, at least for the beginning, you can't control what happens once you're already there. You could transfer now. Um, and we've seen that, but I, I think it's a valid concern and it's, it's a concern that's clearly showing up with kids that they're trying to recruit so how do you combat that? Well, you have to at least act like you're committed. And like you said, he really hasn't even brought up, you know, what a future looks like at Ole Miss and what yeah. they're trying to build because it's a year by year thing. And to his credit, been pretty successful with it. Um, you know, this year, if obviously, of course, back to the issues, if he had not been looking around at Auburn, they probably beat Mississippi State and there have a 10 win season and a nine win season. And that's hell of an impressive job at Ole Miss. Um, but guess what? We they, they didn't do that, and we get to judge them accordingly. And I think fairly for some of the issues they've had in roster management and building. Yeah, I mean, I just wonder, like, you know, he mentioned when he, uh, he got asked during the whole Auburn thing, like, do you address it in the locker room? He's like, no, you address it someone with recruits. And, like, maybe the question is, like, well, how are you addressing that with the recruits? Are you saying it's all noise? Like, it's I'm going to be here, I'm going to be here? Or are you just yeah. clearly lying through your teeth? Or are these kids that are, you know, in some ways 18-year-olds are dumb, but other ways they're pretty, pretty smart and they're – like, yeah, this guy yeah, recruiting's a lot more open these days. There's a lot more information out there. It's not like it used to be, you know, even five to six years ago. I mean, it's everyone knows everything these days. So you can't really hide it. You have to go head on. And, you know, yeah, usually that involves some sort of lying. Uh, that's just life. But, yes. you know, that's if you do it for one season, that's fine. If you're kind of having to do that every season, then that gets out to everybody. Not right. only, you know, the players, but like the high school coaches, the handlers, the the media. I mean, that, there's no hiding from it at that point. Yeah, and it's fascinating. I just wonder if he's going to have to come to some self-realization 
of, hey, I got to commit to this thing long term or just go to your next place. That's kind of been his whole MO the entire time. And it makes for a fascinating setup. Before I keep you for, you know, whatever, uh, however long in Mr. Dinner, let's get into the positives for hit soccer corner and get out of here. They did get three of the five top players in the state. They did a pretty good job in that aspect. They get um, Perkins from Raleigh. Uh, shout out to the pride of, uh, I believe that Dante Moncrief I actually did a story on his cousin, Chris Moncrief, who's a freak running back. I don't actually know what happened to him, but they do sign him. That seems like an almost plug and play kid immediately. They get Williams from Ridgeland, the receiver, which for better or for worse, they're going to have to just basically um, kind of bank on him being the first recruit I mean, the high school kid. They've signed a receiver to actually contribute. That's been a big knock on them. And they got a couple of other guys. How do you, what do you make of the guys that they did get to get today as we go through it? Um, I'll just, um, let's start with Perkins. Seems like a freak of an athlete. I heard that state championship game was one of the more legendary performances of all times. Seems like that guy's pretty awesome. Probably gets a fifth star here soon too, from what I've read. I'll, I'll tell a quick story about Perkins. So my first year, um, actually I think it was my second year. I can't remember. Um, we were having a camp. And there were six DBs that were going through through drills. And uh, they were Eric Reed, who signed with Auburn, who was committed to us for a while. Uh, Emmanuel Forbes was there. Um, Kamari Rogers, who just transferred back to Mississippi State. Cam Threat, Threat Threat, who signed with Mississippi State. Um, and then one more guy who was like really, really oh yeah, uh McKinistry, who's playing Kool-Aid that's playing at Alabama. Yeah, yeah. And then the sixth guy that was there was Centarian Perkins, who was a uh an eighth grader at the time that was at the camp. And we're all watching these guys go through the drills and everything. And uh, I'm sitting there with, with Coach Luke and Coach Nix, and uh Coach Luke kind of turns to me, he's like you know, who do you think's looking the best so far? And, you know, being me, I was like, well, it's pretty obvious that it's it's Kool-Aid. <laughs> he looks pretty awesome. And Eric Reed looks really good, too. You know, Forbes was like a buck 40, though he's had a hell of a college career. He was so skinny. And uh, he goes and points to the kid in the black shirt, which was the only one. The reds were committable guys. And black was kind of like a either a younger kid or like just, uh, just a guy. Yeah. And he's like, no, it's actually this kid. Um, this kid's in eighth grade and he is going to be a fucking superstar. Uh, and we offered him that day. And ever Whoa. since then, he has been an incredible high school football player. Uh, this year, I watched his state championship game. Not not there, but I watched the highlights. It was incredible. He is he is as elite of a player that, that they've signed in a long time. Uh, he's incredible. He is a huge, huge, huge positive at a huge position of need in state. It doesn't get any more important than these kinds of guys. Um, you know, there's people make the comparison to Harold Perkins because they are, have the same last name, <laughs> basically. Um, Harold Perkins couldn't get on the field at LSU because his line, his actual true linebacker instincts were just not there yet, but he was such a freak athlete. They found a way to put him on there just to rush the passer and figure it all out. Perkins may not have that elite athleticism that Perkins has and like the bend and everything, but instincts, physicality, size, speed, length is as good as you're going to find in a high school player. Uh, he's awesome. He's awesome, awesome, awesome. And it was a hell of a job of them to keep him away from Alabama because that's like a, the most Alabama linebacker you'll ever see. Yeah. And that is Darian Perkins. So it's a hell of a job to get him. 
Um, and then Williams is – I love this kid. I love his tape. Uh, I never seen him in person. He never came by. He was kind of like a late bloomer. We offered him, I think, first, like pretty early when I was still there. Um, his senior stuff is incredible. He kind of reminds me of a CD Lamb. Um, he has real speed. He's incredibly violent at the point of attack. I mean, he's catches the ball away from his body, runs great routes. He's smooth. I mean, he's a really, really talented football player. Um, he, he's going to be a good one. He's a guy that ideally can play immediately, which you're seeing from a lot around the country with some of these wide receiver prospects. They're just so they're so much more developed at this point in, in life with seven on seven and stuff. You kind of know when you got one. I, I think that's a pretty damn set that they got one there. And then uh, the defensive lineman from Moss Point, Jamarius Brown, he, he's a little undersized. I think he's only like six two. Uh, but he plays like running back and tight end for that team. And uh, I, I didn't get to see a lot of stuff from him this year because uh, he just didn't have any huddle. I don't really have access to any other way to to look at these kids, but super athletic, twitchy, uh, kind of a different breed than what they have. They've got a bunch of big lumbering guys at defensive line uh, who are good players. They, they kind of needed an athlete, a little more speed at that position, um, which sounds weird. Uh, but it's true. Sometimes you, it's nice to have guys who can make plays um, in different ways at defensive line. Uh, so he's also another really, really good football player. They signed three very, very good players from Mississippi this year. So with the Perkins thing real quick, and I know as an eighth grader, you didn't pretend to get the no kid very well. And I don't pretend to know him at all, but I was very kind of struck by his post-game interview with some high school younger reporter, I'd say stringer after the game talking about like what he did on both sides of the ball. And he's like, whatever, I wanted to win this state championship gold ball type of thing. And I know lip service can be pretty cheap, but it just felt like, all right, this kid's kind of all in on just whatever he needs to do to win the football game. Did you sense the right mental thing with him for whatever interaction you had with him that early? No, I mean, I can't say from, from that early on, but I mean, I, I've seen some clips of him and just the way that he goes about not only playing, but just his, his, He's just like a five of five guy. I mean, he he's everything you want in a football player from like a discipline to competitive toughness to mental toughness to side speed length ratios. I mean, to everything. The guy's just a, the full package at an incredibly important position that Ole Miss has lacked elite athletes at. Um, I mean, even with Mark Robinson and uh, my other guy, Campbell. Is it Campbell? Yeah. Who – I mean, those guys were incredible football players, but I mean, they all had, you know, athletic flaws in, in different ways. Uh, this guy doesn't. I mean, it, it it would be shocking to me, barring injury, that he is not playing early, often, and in a lot. Just kind of rolling through, and I know you hit on these a couple of seconds. Uh, some of these guys seconds ago, but Aiden Williams. Um, they signed the edge kid from Moss Point, Jamarius Brown. They had a couple yeah. safeties in the class from Coppell, Texas. What do you make of just the couple kids that they did get overall? We talked about the in-state piece of it, but from the guys they did get, it seems to be mostly at positions of need. Yeah, the other guys that I liked that I watched today um, was the running back from Tes from Texas, Riscano. Really, yeah, they kept really him. Really, really like him. Um, pretty big kid playing really high-level football. Um, I'm a huge Houston high school football fan, um, it, especially when I was recruiting. I, I like I prefer Houston over Dallas. Uh, really? I think the kids have a little more of an edge to them. It's a little less uh, structured. The kids are usually have a little higher upside, I find, and feel in Houston than Dallas. 
Is that because um, it feels like less like college football? Because as someone who covered high school football in Dallas area for two years, that's a big damn deal from the jump. It almost feels like you're in a college program from the facilities to the stadium and all that. Is there a less of that in Houston? Like, I won't say less money. Houston's got plenty of money. But, like, this yeah. Dallas high school football just like the mecca of the mecca. Is there anything to that? Yeah, if the teams may not be as good, and obviously sums are incredibly good, like North Shore and others, but uh, I, I do think there's a little bit less developing in high school of those kids. They're a little bit more raw, um, which is a good and bad thing. But I think you've just seen, or at least I've seen and, and felt over the years, I, I've always preferred Houston players and recruiting Houston players over Dallas. The Dallas teams are better. They're well coached. You know, it's it's massive there, and it's massive in Houston too. But that Golden Triangle area and, and Houston, like the Beaumont uh, to Corpus to Houston, I, I find that's like one of my favorite places to watch kids and try to find kids. You know, I used to have my own preferences. Obviously, Louisiana was one um, biased, maybe, but the hit rate on those kids um, is just astronomical. It's just a fact. I mean, the, the, they just have so many elite players in such a small vicinity that it, it's it's just it's just a fact that those guys are really really good um i always liked recruiting mobile in south alabama love that area um and then i liked nashville guys um you know it's kind of that's like the biggest metroplex and they're not even a metroplex the biggest city area in tennessee um and they have really good teams but it's not it's like i said it's not overdeveloped kids um they have all different kinds of positions there you know it's not like uh, in Florida, where it's like strictly running backs and receivers and DBs, like in Nashville, in Louisiana, and in, in South Alabama, there's there's guys uh, all different kinds of kids there. Um, and yeah, like Mississippi too, but Mississippi is so different from everywhere else that it's hard to even explain. Um, but yeah, I mean the the Ruscano kid, get back to him, really really good player, love him. I like the lineman from Baylor, the Bryson Sanders. Yeah, um, I was going to ask what you know about him, what you thought of him at all. Yeah, I don't know much about him. I watched him today. Uh, really big, uh, strong upper body. Definitely a little bit of a waist bender, um, but has pretty good balance. Uh, very physical. Got, he's kind of a dickhead, which is always good for an offensive lineman. Um, pro- he's going to be a guard. I, I don't see him playing tackle, but like I said, I, I'm out of it. So <laughs> maybe he's a right tackle guy, um, but he's really good too. I liked him a lot. All right, so you got to get out of here in a second, and I couldn't belabor this any further. We now have to get to the fastest-growing segment on American soil, maybe the most epic soccer corner we've ever had. World Cup ends. We got Argentina on the top. Um, I said I shared this on the Monday show with Chase. My uh, girlfriend, MC, just has this vendetta against American football. She didn't love the violence of it. She's like, why don't they just play soccer? And We keep having this debate while I explain to her while, uh, you know, American football is so much more enticing she's like, I want to watch the World Cup final. I was like, all right, fine. I'd already flipped the thing on anyway, but I wasn't going to wake up for it. So we wake up and watch this sucker. And it sounds like from all accounts that that was just one of the greatest soccer games of all time. I was certainly entertained by it. Just what is your overall World Cup recap? That just felt like an awesome ending to what was a pretty awesome World Cup from start to finish. It was incredible. I mean, it, it's all that you want, not only in just a World Cup final, but just like a sports final in general. Uh, I mean, I was listening to to Bill Simmons, um, I think, on Sunday when he they were kind of yeah. – they don't really talk about it, but they kind of semi-recap it. And he was trying to – I mean, there's nobody that knows more basketball in, in any point or in football. I mean, he's an incredibly intelligent sports 
you know, encyclopedia. And he was like, I can't remember a final or, you know, a Super Bowl where you had two players going up each against each other in the the way that their careers have have played out with Messi being debatably the greatest ever and Mbappe being a guy who is going to be in that conversation in five to six years, like literally no matter what happens. And not only to have them playing against each other, but have them playing in a game of this magnitude, the way that they both played. And then, I mean, obviously the way it ended, it was just incredible. I mean, it, it was truly, truly amazing. And, you know, world f- football, international World Cup football is not always the prettiest um, because it's kind of a hodgepodge of different teams that have different strengths. You know, it's not like the club game where these guys have are together all year and they, they know each other like the back of their hands. You know, it's kind of a hodgepodge of guys from different clubs around the world. And it doesn't always look pretty. And that's a fact. I mean, you see some of these games throughout the world cup, it's like zero, zero, not very impressive. Uh, this game was as well played uh, as, as you'll ever see. I mean, it was probably the greatest world cup game final ever played. Um, wow. And it was just a blast to watch. I mean, I'm not a super soccer historian, but I've watched the last four or five and I had you know, a great time watching it. Yeah, I mean, everyone did. I think that was, like, my whole deal was, like, people always call this sport boring. And, yeah, if you watch a Wednesday game between, you know, Everton and and Brighton, yeah, you might be a little bored. But if you're going to watch the best of the best in the most important game in the world play, I mean, they're always incredible. And it's such a game of moments. And when you have so many throughout that game to look back on, I mean, it's hard to disagree. How did the U.S. do? Was that just job well done? Let's see what we can do in the United States in 2026. I was at a wedding in Florida that weekend, so I didn't. I planned to watch actually that game that morning, but I got rounged into a last minute golf group and was like, all right, I guess I'll take this. Was it job well done for the United States? And we'll see you again in 2020 type of thing. I mean, the past three World Cups they've qualified for, they've they've gotten out of the group, which is the most important thing um, because then it's a different tournament and you just never know with what draws you're going to have. Um, they had a pretty tough one. The, the Dutch um, are a really, really good team with a, a really, really good coach, um, a better team than the U.S. Um, I think it's a little disappointing just because of the way that they played in that game. I think it was probably the worst game that they had the whole tournament. Um, which is why the knockouts is so difficult to get through because, uh, I mean, these teams are so good, especially, you know, the elite ones that, like, if you kind of let up for a second, which they did literally three times, then they they will eat you for it. Um, and they, they let up on defense three times and they, they converted three goals. So there's still a lot of positive things to take from this tournament. Um, I think you're going to see in the next few years, like, how many – really young and talented players that the U.S. will have to choose from for 2026. Um, A huge development came out, I think, kind of during the World Cup that the U.S. is going to be playing in Copa America in two years. That seems like a big deal. That's a huge deal. It's honestly the biggest issue with American soccer has been their lack of competitive international games. Why is that Um, different? Did we get invited or did we qualify? I, I think we got invited. Okay. And have set up a deal to potentially host the event because it was supposed to be in Ecuador and they said they're out of hosting. So I think we're going to host it, which Copa America is basically the Euros for South America. Okay. Um, so, like, you know, that would include Colombia, Brazil, Argentina, Chile, 
cl- teams you don't get to play in a competitive atmosphere ever. You will have that ability to do that in two years to really prepare for the World Cup and the kinds of games you play in knockout stages and competitive matches that you have not been able to do before. So I think that'll be a huge development for the, the U.S. team, the, the product itself, and also just for the country and interest in soccer. You're about to have some incredibly you know, impressive teams playing that you haven't seen in a competitive atmosphere before. And it's completely different from a friendly or a tour of Premier League clubs coming to the U.S. Two last things. When so this World Cup's unique. I read about obviously the Qatar stuff and it being kind of a disaster over there. But the fact that it's not in the summer and it's not following in line with the normal soccer schedule. When do we get back to our EPL? And I get to ask you if Man City is actually going to win this sucker. What happens now? Uh, the EPL starts on Sunday. So no break. Let's go. Yeah, there's no, there's almost no break, which I think is an issue for a lot of people in the sport and around the sport. But for us, I don't give a shit. I mean, Man yeah, United, managers overrated to hell with them. Man, yeah, Man United played today in a League Cup game and and won. Um, so I mean, that's that's already back. Liverpool plays uh, Man City tomorrow at two o'clock in a League Cup game. Oh, whoa! No, so it's already back. Um, now a lot of like, so wait, I wait, think, wait. You said Liverpool plays Man City. That's not an EPL game. No, it's like you know how they have the tournaments inside yeah, yeah. the year. It's a League Cup game. Okay, like okay. Quarterfinal of a League Cup game, so it's not really it's not a Premier League game, but it's it's a it's a cup game. So it's kind of the same thing. Do you think that factors into the results of the EPL of guys wearing down and stuff, or is just in that league Absolutely. everyone's playing in the damn World Cup? Well, I think it really was more of a factor for the World Cup because so many guys were playing competitive matches, they got hurt. I mean, there were teams that were missing really valuable players. And you'll see in 2026, you know, obviously there's always guys that kind of get hurt, but usually you have kind of like a three-week to a month period before the tournament to kind of train with your national team and practice and get a little bit more prepared. Whereas this one, they really just didn't have that. So it'll definitely be different from that standard. Um. Yeah, no, no, I get that. Last thing, what did you make of Messi just telling Salt Bay to piss off? So I know this guy dumps the salt <laughs> on stuff. I think he opened a restaurant in Dallas. Do we like Messi? Is that a personable moment? I don't know much about the fella, but he seems like a likable dude. Messi? Yeah. Yeah, I and mean, when he's not evading his taxes, he's a very likable guy. <laughs> no, I read a whole think piece on this that Spain will get everyone for their taxes, right? They got an American singer celebrity. Didn't they get Ronaldo for a bit? Like, is this evading oh, yeah. taxes or is this just the Spanish loving the taxes? Uh, I'm not Shakira sure. Shakira is what it was. They right? might need them. They might, maybe the economy's down over there. They might need them. But uh, no, I'm, I'm a Messi fan. I like Messi. I mean, I was. Pretty, I was pretty team Ronaldo until he basically just lit a match to his entire, you know, legacy in the past three to four weeks. So I've kind of been off of him. And I mean, even his Portuguese teammates hated him throughout this entire tournament. So I mean, I was happy for Messi. I'm not a huge fan of Mbappe in France, though I respect how incredibly good he is. Um, I was definitely happy for Argentina to win and I bet on him. So that's more important. And then the very last thing, because I know you got to run, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention this. Dabo Sweeney might have reached Pete Dabo Sweeney. Um, he got asked a question at his signing day press conference day. We built this program on NIL. Probably different than what you're thinking of. We built it on God's name, image, and likeness, which brought me back to the point where it's like, well, Nazareth really uh, or really got fleeced by Jerusalem in the portal when they brought baby Jesus from one place to another what? Is that just Pete Dabo for someone that worked at it? Like, what? 
I like him. I think he takes too much stuff. I do think he's genuine for the most part in what he does because of his background, as cringeworthy as it can sound. But I'm just curious what people think of Dabo and what you thought of that quote. Yeah, I saw it. And I was like, you can't even, you know, parody him anymore. You could not parody if, that. If you do, it, it might just be real. Uh, it might just be actually something that he said. Um, I, I'm not a fan of that at all. Not because like I'm some, you know, non-believer or like, you know, hate Jesus or am some sort of like, sure. you know, Satan worshiper. Um, I don't like the concept that at Clemson, you know, those kids are, are better Christians and, and better people because they went to Clemson and I recruited them and they're better. Um, Sounds abundantly you know, familiar to something I recalled for a while. or a couple uh, of while. Yeah. So um, I, I just I, I don't you never fault someone for for their beliefs. Uh, I think the issue and you know, a larger issue in this college football is you fault people for for putting their beliefs onto other people. Um, that that's just not in a, what you should, at least maybe in his position, what you probably should do now, does he care about that? And do I, you know, respect that he continues with that? Yeah, sure. Um, but it's just like, man, like, why, why do you have to say that? It, it's such a holier than thou look, um, on a guy who's, who I don't believe it's fake. In my opinion, I don't think it's fake. It's just like, it's just not necessary. And maybe there are people that disagree with that. And I respect that completely, but it's just like, why in this moment are we going to take it away from like the kids and put it on yourself? That, that it's, it's oddly selfish, which can be a trend in certain things like that. Absolutely. He is Weldon Rodenberg. I appreciate the time as always, my man. It was good chopping it up once again. Um, I know you got to run to a dinner. We'll talk to you. I'm sure after the bowl game, then we'll do this at the late signing period while everyone else is on vacation, but I appreciate the time my man and be well. Yep. See you, man. All right. That was Weldon Rodenberg. Brought him out of hibernation in the offseason. Appreciate his time. As always, we'll talk to him again after the bowl game here in just a little over a week, under a week, whatever the case may be. And uh, we'll have some stuff for you as you head into your Christmas weekend. Everybody have a safe and happy holiday season. We'll probably talk to you once more before then. But uh, yeah, don't do anything I wouldn't do. We'll talk to you soon.